everybody, welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin from the Beyond the Peloton newsletter. As always, I'm here with Andrew Vance from the Choose the Hard Way podcast. Our special guest this week is Riley Sheehan, who just signed a big three-year deal with the Israel Premier Tech Pro team, also a winner of the recent Perry Tours race. Riley has been an up-and-coming rider for the last few years, kind of bouncing around between high-level amateur teams, low-level pro teams, who had a big breakthrough at the end of this last season after racing a full season of crits with the NCL team, the Denver Disruptors. This is a highly unusual jump from um, what you would describe as the minor leagues to the big leagues and quickly proved his worth as a rider and got a three-year contract with the team. We will talk to him about that now, but Andrew, do you want to say a quick word about your podcast before we get going? Yeah, for sure. You can find Choose the Hard Way everywhere you listen at Hardway Pod on social and at choosethehardway.com. Just had Alexis Scarda on, lifetime Grand Prix competitor, XC Marathon national champion. And I actually have Kimo Seymour from uh, Lifetime, the head honcho over there at the Lifetime Grand Prix series on the podcast coming up. So come check it out. And I mean, Riley, I think let's let's just go hot right out of the gate. So we know that, you know, you're headed to the world tour and uh, also you're in Boulder, correct? Or you're somewhere in the front range? Yep, here yeah. in Boulder. So what made you decide to go world tour instead of getting a backpack and a small dog? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think I uh, didn't want to be permanently into the, um, yeah, the Subaru backpack, small dog life. I think, um, yeah, mountain, or not mountain biking either or 14 or climbing. I kind of two wheels was good. Don't need to get on that. Yeah, get on, get on that small dog train. Yeah, I had, you know, yeah. I've had I've had Alexi Vermeulen on my podcast. Yeah, great yeah. great guy. I love his work. I have noticed that the small dog backpack thing is totally taken off. Like if you go on pro cycling Instagram now, a striking number of world tour pros are now stepping into that small dog backpack game. Yeah, I, I mean, I've never had a, a pet my whole life either. So, um, I mean... I don't know. Maybe I, yeah, don't want to risk it for the biscuit for, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, right. this, this is like the ultimate, I mean, it's the ultimate growth hacking. It's actually, we're joking about it, but it kind of shows like the dire existence for a cyclist outside of, I guess, the sheen of the top, top level where it's like, you ready to get a dog in a backpack and get on Insta and try to get in the algorithm and get some people looking at you. So, yeah, it, you're very lucky to be with Israel Premier Tech, I would say. The thesis of that. No, yeah, it's been, um, yeah, I've, I've gotten like, uh, yeah, I've been super fortunate and lucky. Just like the opportunities, just getting into that program was huge. Because, um, yeah, before that with um, the NCL and Denver Disruptors, that was great. But um, I had the dreams of, yeah, world tour and, and uh, pro, pro racing in Europe. And um, yeah, unless you, yeah, if you have a, dog and you're riding with your backpack you know it's kind of hard to race in the u.s and make a job out of it so i'm yeah, glad to be uh in europe without a dog on my backpack i guess <laughs> yeah i mean I, yeah i feel like we might have gotten to the end of the dog in a backpack jokes but i did just open instagram because <laughs> i could i'm so maybe a listener could confirm this you can shoot me a, a message at hardway pod on instagram if you like i could swear i saw a photo of lada Kapeki. Yes. With I, with the no. dog in a backpack. Am I mistaken? I think you're thinking of Demi Volering. 
Oh, oh. And she like she like <laughs> wow. blew up from this. I, okay. Like think of how everything she's won, like probably yeah, that's what I'm the saying. Best writer in the world currently. And yeah. this is like what she's known for. Okay. Yeah. She she went to wow. another level. Anyway, all right. That's enough dog in a backpack <laughs> talk. Um, oh wow, it's one of the first things that came up when I uh yep, there it is. It's a no, pretty I find it slightly depressing. It's a it's kind of a sizable dog. This is a larger dog. <laughs> anyway, Spencer, I know we got serious business to talk about. We need to talk about you know, if you're at Valmont, it's like 28 degrees. Do you go with a mixed tread? Do you go with a, uh, a file tread? But seriously, Riley, hats off. Congratulations. Um, massive season. What do you feel like the next year is going to entail for you? What are you planning on doing? You want to uh, point at the fence and tell us about a home run? Yeah. Um, I mean, geez, I think it's going to be like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I'm going to be jumping straight into the deep end. I mean, I feel like I've said that, and a lot of people say that when they go to Europe. But, um, I mean, yeah, I'm coming from like a year of crit racing, and then I had a short stint doing a stage year and had some great results. But, like, pretty much for, straight from crits to um, crits to classics, I'd probably say. If, um, yeah, it looks like um, schedule still in the work for next year, but... Um, Looks like I might be doing like the season openers and for the classics and, and spring and um, some of the hardcore stuff like that. So um, really looking forward to it. But I mean, yeah, coming from like crits to, you know, spring classic style racing, um, going to have to pull off some of my, um, you know, cyclocross stuff I did back in the day at Valmont. But um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, pretty psyched for um, all the big racing because it's kind of been what's been in the back of my mind and kind of what I've been yeah, not so secret, but secretly training for. And uh, yeah, looking forward to actually, uh, you know, putting that all out, um, out on the road. Yeah. So Riley, given your focus in 2023 and I'm looking at your Palmares right now, did you keep up a world tour level training load and how similar or dissimilar is that from how a domestic criterion pro my train. So how did you put yourself in the position to be able to get the results that we saw you achieve, you know, with the Paris tours when, and everything else at the end of the season? Yeah. So like kind of going back to 2022, I was on this team called premier tech that was sort of kind of feeder team to Israel premier tech, but, um, just doing a continental team and just racing in uh, France primarily. And I got sick that year couldn't get a contract or anything. And then NCL came along, but I was like pretty hungry to continue racing. And I wanted to get back over to Europe and racing at the high level. And um, so I knew I was like, all right, you know, I got this NCL stuff and I'm psyched because uh, yeah, it's going to be some good racing. But um, you know, in the back of my mind, I was, I was trying to train as much as I could really. I was trying to do a lot of specific short stuff for the crits, of course, but it definitely kept up that, you know, high volume, big hour training weeks, you know, doing these big kilojoule rides and everything that um, I think paid off pretty well. But um, yeah, kind of glad the stage year definitely started, you know, for me in September. <laughs> so I had like, uh, was it nine months to, to build everything up? But um, honestly, yeah, comparing to a bit of the crit stuff, you know, the training, it was just a lot more hours. I did keep the intensity super high. Um, yeah, I think you know, kind of having that in my mind, okay, I got to do even more extra high-end stuff, work on my sprint more, go to the gym more. 
I honestly think that uh, ultimately helped me for these like bigger, bigger races kind of changed my, um, yeah, changed my idea on, you know, training for, for big, long races. Like you, you still need that super sharp, um, super sharp, short and sweet efforts too to yeah spice up the training. So, yeah, I know another question that our listeners are sure to have in is we're thinking about just domestic criteria I'm seeing versus the time that you've spent in Europe. What about the level of smack talking and chopping that goes on in the two different disciplines? How do they compare? I mean, yeah, I'm definitely going to catch some heat for this, but um, I mean, there's plenty of heat out there already. So um, it'll just be a, <laughs> a grain of sand on a big beach. But um, yeah, the, <laughs> it's, it's nuts. The, the smack talk here in the U S it's um, it's insane. You like just, uh, not necessarily smack talk, but the weirdest egos you get. Um, you know, of course, in Europe, I've had some weird occasions, you know, in the point two races, they're a lot smaller. I got like punched in the back of the head once and whatnot. But um, I mean, that's not unfamiliar in the U.S. at all. That's pretty, um, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, somewhat common. To, you know, you see a headline with some type of fight. You're not like, oh, my gosh, there's a fight. And you're like, check it out, another one. But um yeah, so yeah, it's just uh yeah, kind of chaos, a lot more a lot more vocal aggression I'd say in the uh <laughs> in the US scene a bit. So, yeah. Yeah, it's probably it, it doesn't uh get any more intense than like a masters group ride on a Wednesday night. <laughs> I, I would <laughs> Right, I I actually saw a YouTube video the other day. It was it was a Masters 40 plus Cat 3 rider at the Littleton Criterium <laughs> and there was just this really nuts confrontation in the middle of the race, some guy cursing at him. It was, it's kind of bananas. But anyway, I, Spencer, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I always had this feeling, Riley, or wanted to say it in the US, but it's like, it's out of control. Like the level of aggression that's not pushing uh, kilojoules into the pedals is absurd. And it's like, maybe let's work a little bit harder on being better cyclists. Like you guys could be faster and then you could just ride away from these people and you wouldn't have to fight with them. Like, I, yeah, it feels like the focus is on the wrong thing. And that's, I feel like this is a Tarantino movie, this interview, we're going back, we're going forward. But for those un, <laughs> unfamiliar with Riley, you uh, grew up in Boulder, your dad, famous cyclist, Clark Sheehan, I think he was on Postal for a while, but on a lot of good American teams. There's like a, I forget the specifics of it. There was this uh, seven up team and they had Dave Zabriskie when he was a nobody. And I don't know if this story is true. Your dad's going to kill me if I don't have this right. But they were at Redlands and I I, apparently they were doing a circuit race. They were off the front together and your dad told Dave there was another lap, but there wasn't. So he could (laughs) out sprint him for the win. I don't know if that's true. That's unverified everybody. But yeah, I haven't heard that story, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not surprised I haven't heard that for, uh, you know, moral <laughs> what a reasons. What a legend. It makes for a good story. There's another one about like, there's the famous, uh, uh, I forget the name, it's, but the, the hill climb that used to oscillate between Magnolia and Sugarloaf. And one year he was off the front with Mike Creed and he was like, I'm dying, I'm dying, I can't sprint. And then he outsprints Creed for the win <laughs> at Eldora Ski Resort. So that's how he got the name yeah, Clark it's... the Shark. But, you know, good mentor probably taught you a lot about the sport you were coming up and like at the time it sounds crazy now i'm like who like who the hell is this riley sheehan kid everyone's afraid of like he's 15 years old he's he's not gonna beat me like that's impossible and then he like you just came into pro one too and you're like you were crushing people like immediately pretty much it was it was pretty impressive to watch 
And then I would like to get in later in the interview, like kind of, you know, we, I think you're familiar with seeing a lot of young Boulderites excel really quickly. And then you just never hear, you know, never hear, I don't want to throw people under the bus, but you know, just like there's guys that are like great results early and then boom, they, they don't make it to the top level. And you just kind of kept chipping away. Like I remember you were in France when COVID hit on, um, instead of going, you went straight from high school to this team in France. You were working your way up there. COVID, I'm sure, was super disruptive to that whole experience. You kind of bounced back to the U.S. And this is like the danger zone for the U.S. cyclists. It's like, oh, no, they're back in America. Like, they're never, they're going to get too comfortable. They're never going back. And then you got the, you were staging with Israel Premier Tech. You show up to uh, Maryland Cycling Classic, a, a top 10, like right off the bat. Like, I was really blown away by that. And then you win Perry Tours like a month later, month and a half later, which is a, for those who don't know, like that's a big race, really old prestigious race. You're beating like super, super high level riders there. It's interesting to say, hear you say that you thought the strength work helped you there. Cause I remember the end of that race was really explosive with those groups splitting up and looking back, knowing that you were doing more strength work probably helped you quite a bit. Um, and then how you have a three-year deal at the top of the sport, like how, what do you attribute I mean, I have the same question as Andrew, like going from doing crits, I'm looking at your, your schedule this year, doing crits in like June, July, you did Littleton crit, which is a big race. Like that's a race I might be at, you know, I probably, I probably would have won that if I was on vacation for that race, but, but it's not like, I know the people doing it are, are taking it very seriously and they are very good riders, but it's not the top, top level. Like, what was that like? You, you did Littleton and then your next race is Maryland Cycling Classic, which, you know, isn't a world tour race, but is a high level race. Like, did you feel overwhelmed by that? Or was it just like, whatever, like I, I've been, I know I've been training and I can handle this. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was a bit timid because I was like, all right, first race, but, um, you know, I got to make a good first impression, but, um, I kind of had a good first impression before after Joe Martin, I got in kind of there talent pool with the Israel Premier Tech and then um you know kept talking to them and then most of July I was in Lavinio, Italy where they had an altitude training camp so I did a 3 week altitude training camp with uh, all the IPT guys and so I kind of had like a you know a, a world tour training camp in you know in the legs I went straight from there to Chicago to do like the Intelligentsia Cup so I had like this 3 week big volume and then did a week long week-long thing of crits came back to Colorado for a bit and then yeah did Littleton felt great there and I knew I was fit and um, just had to do a bunch of volume but you know you still one year of not doing any you know racing against Simon Yates or you know any of these top guys Tom Squains or any of any of these guys it's like all right you know I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen I know I'm fit but that's fit for for you know a American Crit Cup type of race is that fit for um, World Tour? So that was, um, you know, I just had to like come in there, just like full on confidence, and just you know bet on myself really well. And you know, I kind of raced it super aggressively and worked with a team plan and whatnot. So um, yeah, it unfolded pretty well. So I was kind of psyched with um, how that all worked out. But yeah, definitely worked my uh, worked my butt off for, before that, just knowing that. Um, I could be like 10 steps behind the, you know, behind the level, or I could be right at the level. I had no idea since it'd been so long. So I was just kind of 
panic training, even though I felt fit as fit as ever. Yeah. <laughs> Does the team talk to you about that at all? Or, you know, what's that even like coming in as a stagiaire, which if, for those who don't know, like you sign at the very end of the year, I don't know the exact rules on it, but you get basically a team gets like additional slots to sign right like interns basically and if they like you they can resign you and if not you're you just are kind of free at the end of the year like when you come in uh, is it like are they really supportive and they're like hey we've been looking at your power files this is no problem or is it just kind of like figure it out kid like you, we like is it is it frosty i don't want i don't want to get you in trouble with the team but no, like, no what was that vibe when he showed up oh it was actually really good um i like you're just treated as um another rider on the team which was phenomenal. Like I'm working with the, I went straight into working with like the team dietitian. He'd give me, you know, pretty, pretty much like the day before and day of and like race nutrition plan from like breakfast the day before, how many, you know, how many grams of oatmeal and how many eggs will I eat that morning to, um, to, okay, what should I eat in the beginning of the race versus the end of the race? So like, I mean, that's just one example of one of the staff members, but I mean, pretty much, yeah, when, when you're a stagiaire, I mean, yeah, you are the intern, but, um, they treat you the same as they'll, uh, treat the rest of the guys, which was, um, was pretty cool. Cause I know like, if not, it'd be kind of tricky to just kind of, you know, go in and try, you know, fitting yourself in, which, um, yeah, definitely not easy, especially when you're in doing big races that you've never done before with people that you've never um raced with ever so you didn't larry warbus just told a story i think like uh, i wanted to bring that up yeah. <laughs> they were not so welcoming to him he has yeah. a funny story where his like heinrich Kausler was his favorite writer and then he was teammates with heinrich Kausler, who was really mean to him and he was even andrew do you not remember the name of the guy who yelled at him and almost made him cry during one I, of the training i sessions? don't no i don't remember i believe it that it was at his first training camp and they were doing intervals. They were supposed to stay in a specific zone and he passed some guy on the team and the guy just like laid into him. I like, that's not what you do. You don't pass me. <laughs> you don't pass me. That's what <laughs> you don't pass me. Full disclosure. That's what I would be doing. If kids were passing me and I'm out of shape and I know <laughs> yeah. that I'm at the end of my career, I'm laying in yeah. those kids. Watch out. Yeah. But Riley, how did you even get hooked up? So you're racing for the Denver disruptors on the NCL team. We have, we could, we have a million questions about the NCL, but like, so how did you even get hooked up with the NCL? And then how did you make that jump to Israel premier tech? Like what were the connections there? Yeah. So, um, yeah, with the NCL, um, Reed McAlvin is one of the head guys behind it. He's worked with, uh, action Hoggins Berman's in the past. And, um, I mean, Geez, I think he worked for my dad forever ago. Maybe, maybe it was on like the Seven Up team, which was crazy. So, um, I've kind of apparently he's known me my whole life, which I mean I don't really remember him when I was two years old or anything. But um, yeah, I've always kind of stayed in touch with him. And then he reached out talking about the NCL, and I was trying to find a European team. But um, yeah, once he uh told me about it, I you know signed up for that. And, um, yeah, the team was awesome with the NCL, the riders we had and staff was great. We had, um, Swain Tuff who, um, yeah, Canadian cycling legend, really. Um, he was the main, the head director for the team and, um, he's got a bunch of good connections in Europe cause he's been, you know, he had raced in Europe for years and years and years. And, um, yeah, he got me in touch with the, the head of performance at, uh, Israel Premier Tech. 
um, after our first training camp, we had these like power tests we did because we were partnered up with Wahoo. And um, yeah, I, I laid out some good numbers and we had a conversation afterward, afterwards. He's like, hey, I know you're doing this crit stuff and everything, but do you want to go back to Europe and everything? Because I can help you out. And um, yeah, from there on out, um, it was a great, great relationship with Swain. And, you know, we really pushed really hard for um, for all the opportunities and it worked out really good with uh, Israel Premier Tech, got in the in their kind of talent pool and um yeah they kind of followed along the rest of my stuff the joe martin victory and um yeah the rest is kind of history there so yeah swain tough he's an interesting guy <laughs> like i remember meeting him for the first time and being like this is not i was in the four seasons maui working for Ryder hesedal and this guy came in the elevator and i thought he was like uh because he had like a cutoff he was like had a nice bike but like jean shorts and like a cutoff shirt and he had been out for a ride and i was like whoa like this is kind of an interesting look for the four seasons and then i found out later that was swain tough that was there to train with Ryder. definitely an unusual guy but a lot of connections like a long career at the top level which you don't really think about with him because he's kind of has so many other pursuits but when you were racing for the Denver disruptors, like even before you had that conversation, were you thinking like, I got to get back to Europe, like that's where I got to be, or was it just kind of like, I'll just race this season and, and see what happens? Oh, from like the uh, the day my season ended, and um, last year I did the tour of Romania, and uh, 2022 um, did tour of Romania. That was my last race of the year, and I kept that that I don't really keep my numbers from races, um, but I kept that number. And I was like, oh, I really hope this isn't my last race. You know, that first day of off season, I was like, all right, next year, I'm doing everything I can to uh, move up because, yeah, I did not like. And then just knowing, you know, signing for a U.S. team after getting back from Europe, like you said earlier, you know, they might get too comfortable back in the U.S. or whatnot. And it's just once you take a step down, it's hard to take that step back up because you kind of have that on your resume, you know, you kind of took the step back for whatever reason. And, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, pretty much since, since the end of the 2022 season, I was like, all right, I, I gotta, I gotta get, get back up to Europe and uh, get back up to the high level. So once you got back, well, I guess this isn't quite getting back over there, but I wanted to jump back to something you mentioned earlier in the interview. You were kind of talking about what I think many consider to be the optimal and typical preparation for the Intelligentsia Cup, which is a three-week altitude camp. Can you, talk a, can you talk a little bit about, you know, we've, you know, we've heard about, we've seen the YouTube videos, we've read the articles about what's, what is actually happening at an altitude camp what is it like? What was it like for you? Like what went down? What was a typical day like? How did you fill your time? Um, I mean, yeah, I filled my time by <laughs> riding a lot, but uh, no, um, more seriously, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I came there like, you know, straight from, uh, yeah, straight from Colorado. So it was like super jet lag, but like Colorado, we have altitude here too. So I was like, you know what? It's easier to get over jet lag than it is altitude. So I kind of have like, the edge, you know, for the first week with, um, like, I don't need to make any altitude adaptations and whatnot, but, um, no, it was a good camp. Um, pretty much just a lot of volume, you know, pretty, pretty much three weeks in a row, just high volume, 
Lavinio is pretty interesting town because it's like a weird part of Italy where it's just kind of a big duty free. So other than like seeing a lot of cyclists, you kind of get a bit of traffic, like kind of up the mountain of just all these um, Italians pretty much, you know, coming up to get a great deal on, you know, their three liter of vodka and, and a big pack of cigarettes. So um, grabbing a giant Toblerone bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, as big exactly. as the car. So, <laughs> makes it yeah, yeah. Yeah. So kind of weird vibe there, but um, yeah, it's a great, great area for training because you got all these different directions and you can just drop right into Switzerland and Switzerland's got the best roads. Honestly, I think in Europe, you can, they're just so well maintained there. It's um, yeah, just smooth, great mountain climbs, but um, yeah, the camp, you know, is, you know, pretty much massage and osteo every day. You know, we had meals just for us created, you know, cooked at the hotel and whatnot. Um, dietitian was there we did some like skin fold stuff um had a couple ch chats with the management it was a bit tricky because um the tour was going on at the same time so uh yeah other than just putting a ton of volume in the, on the bike there wasn't uh too much craziness other than that but um yeah i was expecting to do all these specific things and whatnot but um no nah, it, was, it was pretty nice it's just like yeah world tour training camp is pretty much just Go up to a you know a hotel in the mountains, eat some good food, and ride all day. Like, and then get a massage after, and then finish off with watching the tour. Like, uh, it's kind of the life, actually. I look forward to more altitude camps. So, what were so like? Let's say you're sitting down for breakfast with, uh, you know, the other altitude camp attendees. What's typical chit chat? Like, what are you chopping it up about? Oh man, it kind of depends. I mean, with the tour going on, there's always talking about the tour. And then there's a couple other riders that I think there was four of us who were like kind of the test out for the, the stagiaire. So like the, we're like the intern before the intern. So um, it's kind of us just like talking around the, the team drama and racer, racer drama and, you know, who's, who's in the team next year, who's out the team. Oh, you think, you know, we're going to get a, stagiaire spot or whatnot and then with the rest of the riders just talking crap around the table i don't know it's it's uh yeah just uh just a bunch of dudes chatting i guess nothing um i don't know nothing too crazy <laughs> were you guys chit-chatting about someone's bike being set up incorrectly on the team <laughs> was that well like what <laughs> what uh like intensity are they having you ride at i, I assume they're not just like go out and 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 get after it get some miles in like are they giving you prescriptive like we want you this this much time in this zone yeah so we're kind of split up into two groups most of the days like a sprinters group and a climbers group and um people and i i still can't figure out what type of rider i am so i was kind of bouncing around the groups but each group's got the you know a follow car with a mechanic and then usually one one of the the team coaches is driving and there's maybe some specific training that day but a lot of it was just general endurance. A couple times they had like a, one of the coaches come out on an e-bike and, you know, they'd pace up, pace us up a climb at whatever watts per kilo for a certain amount of time. Um, yeah. So it's kind of cool. There was, you know, a bit of, you know, a bit of um, interesting stuff going on there. You know, it's kind of nice to have the follow car so you can just, Hey, I need some water. All right. Here's, here's a fresh bottle, you know, and, uh, 
um, the motor pacing stuff was super cool. I've never done it with like an e-bike on a climb, but uh, it really gets that kind of race feel where you really got to hold the wheel and you don't, you know, it's not, you're not breathing in the fumes of a, a scooter, a little Vespa. So yeah. Boulder might be nice, but you get outside the mountainside side of Boulder, pretty rugged. Not many, uh, if you don't have a follow car, you might not be getting any food. You might not be getting any water. So it's nice to, uh, to have the follow car for sure. And that was, that was before the Intelligentsia Cup. Is that right? Yeah. 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 The, the, I mean, I had to miss the first three days of the Intelligentsia Cup because of the camp. And so I flew in, I think I got to Chicago at like 6 PM and then literally 24 hours later, I started the, the, like whatever, I think it was like the third or fourth night of uh, intelligence. Yes, like 24 hours after landing, like all jet lagged. I, I took a crap ton of caffeine and was just so hyped to like get rolling on the, yeah, it's, you know, had all the altitude gains and uh, I was ready to rip. But that first night, man, I was like, it was just like, I couldn't tell if I was like on a one that day or a 10 because I had so much caffeine. It was so jet lagged. It was like probably 4 a.m you know, Italy time and I'm in a crit, like what, you know, I haven't, haven't been doing crit type training. I've been doing like climbing up these, I was going up the Stelvio like four days ago. Like this is, this is a whole different thing. So that was a bit of a, a bit of a trip. Does it feel easy? Like, you know, when you come out of a really high intensity, like you're with the top, top guys in the sport, you go to the intelligentsia cup, which does have good riders, but you know, it's, it's not, the the best you're not making a ton of ton of money racing that type of racing like does it feel easier or is it just like different it's just so fast and it's not the type of training you were doing so it takes a long time to catch up to that yeah it did feel quite a bit easier for sure but it's still like you know these 75 minute crits it's you know almost everyone there you can just you know you can you're not going to run out of bullets until maybe 50 minutes in 60 minutes in. So most of the time, you know, all these guys are kind of up there with you and whatnot. But, um, I kind of kept using it as training. I was like, all right, I'll get some high intensity. And, and, um, so I wasn't really racing it the smartest. I remember talking to my dad a bit on the phone. He's like, all right, just the next day, just sit in for the first 45 minutes, do nothing. And, um, yeah, a couple of days I, I, yeah, followed some good advice there, and um, yeah, it was pretty pretty chill after doing a camp like that to just sit in because it's like I just did an hour and a half climb the week before at the same wattage, but I'm just now sitting in the draft, you know, just cornering. This is a it's pretty fun actually, just to like cruise around. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was you know I kind of made it hard on myself sometimes. I was like, all right, I'm just gonna race super aggressive, and then. Uh, then I still had some like legs for the end, but um, yeah, still um, generally quite a bit easier for sure. Yeah, yeah, you're making this sound easy. If if you're listening to this show and you went and tried to sit in the Intelligentsia Cup, you would not find it easy or fun. Probably, <laughs> you're you're kind of downplaying how difficult a going from crits to uh, winning Perry Tours and then even just racing the crits are. But um, yeah, that definitely would not pass the Clark Sheehan test of of a strategy, making it as hard on yourself as possible. But it actually probably helped you at Maryland because that that's a crazy race. Like we don't see a ton of it. I, I guess it's a, it is televised start to finish. I don't really sit down and watch the beginning of the Maryland cycling classic though, but it feels like it goes from start to nothing. Like it just explodes immediately. And then you have like 
groups scattered all over the road. So it probably helped you there that you were racing more aggressively and that's how you got in a position to top 10. Exactly. That's kind of how I used it. And like a lot of the days in intelligence, I was just going for the preems. Like I remember one day I had like a mechanical issue where my SRAM went into a uh, crash mode and uh, I was just single speed the whole race. But it was like the perfect gear. If I were going to choose a single speed for that day, it would have been perfect. But I think I made like double the money of the guy who won that day just off of preems, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, with Maryland, it was, um, yeah, pretty much we did the pre-ride the day before and whatnot. And just like all the dinner time conversation stuff was like, all right, I think it was like 86K in, there's, we do this descent, it's kind of technical. And then there's this like two minute climb, it's going to blow up. And um, so I was just kind of, those first like 80k I was like all right we're just gonna wait till it blows up and then yeah once it blew up it was it was yeah it really blew up i remember being in the front group and uh i was like geez we got a long ways to go and there's only like is it like 20 or 30 of us in this front group this is uh this is kind of odd i've never really been in a situation with like 120k to go where we have like you know it's it's almost the final selection but with the heat that we had there was just like that was that was gnarly like um nobody had any power prs that day just because of how hot it was everyone was just trying to handle the heat as much as possible i think in like the final circuits it was like 102 degrees which was um yeah it was hell <laughs> yeah it's a so, miserable heat too it's not yeah. not an easy heat to ride on right and you were telling andrew and i about your contract negotiations with Israel before Harry tours. So like around this time and then after, can you walk us through that again? So you, you, I heard you kind of didn't secretly, but you signed without um, any press that a three-year deal, one of them on the development team. And then after you won Perry tours, you got a new deal. Can you kind of walk us through how that worked? Yeah. So like uh, I had a good Maryland result, um, got ninth there, you know, felt pretty good. And they're like, all right, well, you know, we want to, we, we know you can race, but let's see how you can race in Europe. And um, I was like, come on guys, I've been, I've been racing in Europe the last three years before in France. Like, you know, so I was like, I was super eager to really prove myself. I did the super eight classic and um, it was my first race in Belgium. And uh, yeah, on, you know, on the, all the selective areas of the course up these like cobbled climbs, I was up there with the top guys. And then at one point in the race, I, I made the breakaway with Vanderpool. It was his first race after winning Worlds. Matteo Trentin and Victor Campenarts. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I think I'm surrounding myself with some good guys. Like the training's paid off a bit. I'm dying, but just just happy to be here. And then um, then the next day, uh, did some good support role for uh, one of my teammates. And um, yeah, after that weekend, I was like, hey, um, we spoke about, you know, you want to see me racing in uh, Europe. Um, I think this last weekend's, you know, shown I can I can be there. And uh, they agreed. And, they yeah, they gave me an offer with the one year on the Conti and then two years pro, which um, I agreed to and uh, signed with. And um, I still wanted, you know, I still wanted more. I think that's, I don't know, maybe, yeah, it's a good thing. I always want more, I guess. And um and yeah, I was still hungry. I was like, all right, I still want to get on that pro team. I, I knew they still had one more spot that was like 
who knows if it's open or closed, but there's still a chance, you know, and, um, and yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I went full gas and then, um, Perry tours happened, uh, pretty life changing. Yeah. Result there. And then, uh, went to Japan for the Japan cup and pulled off another good result there. And, um, on the bus back after the, uh, after the, um, after the Japan cup, I was talking to the general manager and I was like, Hey, I think, um, you know, I'd love to start the conversation about the uh, pro team. And then, um, yeah, here we are now three-year deal with the pro team. So let's go. <laughs> Do you yeah. have an agent or are you just doing <laughs> the freestyling? Is this like normal at the world tour? Is just guys, you're just pestering your manager after races. Um, so yeah, it's pretty common. I think most guys have agent agents nowadays, but, um, I think I've been really fortunate enough. Like I've had my dad, um, help me out a bunch and a bunch of other people. Swain Tuft, who I've kept working with has just been, um, a great resource for me. And, um, the way the relationship kind of built with IPT was, was, I don't know, I felt super comfortable and kind of wanted to do it man to man. Um, you know, I totally see the reason behind the agents and everything, but, um, just how the relationship was, I, I really felt comfortable just doing the face to face type of, uh, deals and negotiations and all that. And, uh, yeah, it turned out to work pretty well, but definitely, I think a bit unusual for most, um, was definitely guided, you know, towards a lot of different agents and some agents reached out, but, um, yeah, for now I was pretty happy with just, uh, doing it, you know, with the, uh, the people I had behind my back, um, like Swain, my father and a bunch of other folks as well. So. I want to go a bit deeper on that, and I'm sure Spencer anticipated that I would have this question, but you mentioned you were in a breakaway with Victor Campanerts, and something <laughs> something we've talked about a number of times on the podcast in the past year is if you were in a breakaway with Campanerts, or if you were in a lead-out train with him, does he actually have a draft? <laughs> um, I made sure to not be on his wheel. Smart. So, um, okay. That's why <laughs> I have world tour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, um, yeah, the dude gets low. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, do you remember, yeah. Do you remember whose wheel you were on? Um. Oh, geez. I think I was on Trenton's wheel a couple times, and then there was a there was a Yumbo guy as well. Don't know who he was, but I was on his wheel. Um. Yeah, I think like Vanderpool was on my wheel a couple times, which was like. Yeah. <laughs> like I wish I had a little like rear view rear view mirror on my uh on my bike. I'm sure I would have just saw him nose breathing or something. But yeah. Yeah. Just take a selfie. Just pull yeah. it out, grab that. That's, yeah, exactly. yeah. That's when you brake check him. Yeah. <laughs> the sheriff's in town, Matthew. This is not your show anymore. <laughs> That's actually funny you bring that up. I feel like I, I feel like I'm becoming a grumpy old man where I'm like Kids these days, they don't know how to race. Where I feel like a lot of kids your age, you're 23 years old, we get in a move like that, and like I'm getting on Vanderpool's wheel. It's like, no, don't get on Vanderpool's wheel because he's going to pull through so hard that he's going to blow you up and you're going to die when you get to the front. Camping Arts has no draft. Like, get on the tall touch man's wheel on Yumbo. We don't know how good he is, but he's probably not as good as Vanderpool. And like, that's how you could, that's how you actually ride in a breakaway. And I, I feel like a lot of kids don't know how to do that anymore. Yeah, once I got in that move, it was, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was like, I wasn't really trying to prove myself once I was in that move. It was more just damage control and like, how do I stop breathing out my eyeballs? I'm cross-eyed, like 
why am I up here? Like, just keep taking, like, hang on for dear life. Cause, um, yeah, that was more what was going through my mind than, um, all right, I'm going to rip the same speed as Vanderpool's wheel. Like I was, um, yeah, I was, I was an 11 out of 10 on the effort. Like I was, once I like, yeah, I got across to that group. I was like, oh my gosh, what the, what the hell am I doing here? This is, um, this is insane. But, um, <laughs> I think like all the adrenaline and then hype of, holy crap, I'm with all these guys too. Um, like was able to uh, keep it, you know, keep it in check and have me hang on. So <laughs> something we always debate is like when you're in that move, can you hear, can you understand anything that's coming through the radio from the team car? Um, yeah. Cause I honestly, yeah. Cause I, I think when you're like that full gas and dying, you're kind of desperate to hear anything and um, like anything they'll like, you're so full gas hypoxia is, to the maximum like kind of like you'll get influenced by uh any <laughs> any voice that's like you're told and they're like all right riley just keep it chill you're doing good up there and i was like all right that's that's what i need because like if they said you know if they said anything like negative it would have just like i was already like you know hanging on for dear life i think that would have been like the last straw and oh, i would just <laughs> so yeah. interesting because i think yeah. a lot of people it's like there's and I'm one of them. It's like a big push to make that public. And it's like, you might not want to hear it. Like some people were frustrated in the, during the tour of like, uh, eat, make guys, make sure you eat and drink. And it's like, what well, do they really need to hear that? It's like, yeah, they do because the, you're, you're at the limit. Like, you don't, you can't, you can't think anymore. You need someone to tell you the most basic things. It's not like a normal sport or even F1 where they're in a car. They're not, you know, their heart rate's probably not at 190 beats per minute. So you can have a little bit more of a nuanced conversation. It's like a cyclist at the limit just needs the most basic possible information. It's maybe not going to be that enlightening for people listening. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember you know, I was in that move and I, like I needed a bottle and I was, I couldn't think of like, all right, when's the next, you know, when's the next feed zone or any of that. I was just like, I couldn't think. And I remember just like taking my hand off the bars to go to the radio and be like, where's the next feed was like, that was, that was just brutal in itself. I was so full gas, but, um, you know, like that was like, I needed to know, like, give, like lie to me, tell me it's in 2k. I don't care. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like Andrew and I at BWR Kansas right there. Yeah, it was pretty intense. So Riley, operating at the world tour level, what's been the biggest surprise to you in terms of um, like the training, the methodologies, like what's actually happening in the races? Is there anything that's been different than you expected? Nothing crazy. I mean, one thing that was kind of interesting to me was like, I mean, I shouldn't have been surprised, but like, yeah, everyone knows each other. I mean, the cycling world is small enough, but, um, it was pretty cool how just, you know, at the start line, just people from different teams are just chatting along and everything. Like it's, um, I don't know. One thing I, that was a big, just shock and kind of going back to like us crit racing culture versus Euro racing culture is like, we're all, we're all in it together and here to have fun. Like we're, we're trying to make it, it like the, we're trying to keep the best vibe possible. Like it's not like there's times to be serious, but um, you don't need to be serious like 110% of the time. And uh, 
that was that was kind of cool is like just seeing the attitudes of everyone and their outlooks you know it's just like all right let's keep the spirits high and um you know we don't have to just be all right you know robots like it was um off the bike you know it was just hanging out which was uh super cool and i was gonna say riley a lot has been made of it's now kind of axiomatic that everyone's eating at least 120 grams of carbs per hour i think i've seen five articles on this topic in a <laughs> u.s cycling outlet in the last month saying the same thing in a, a couple of different ways what's that like for you as an athlete because it, it seems like okay at this point we get it are you just doing all mix or are you doing mix and solid food because personally my experience of trying to chew things while going full gas and certainly not at your level i've had mixed results <laughs> yeah but like yeah same thing like going full gas no matter what you know we're all going full gas so um yeah it was you know kind of trying to dial in that is kind of tricky because obviously mix is so great you know you're just drinking it you don't need to you know reach in your back pocket undo a wrapper that with your sweaty or sticky hands it doesn't want to you know it's got to do a special way to tear it open or something but um i found a pretty good um system and whatnot with the nutrition we had we had these gels that were um pretty liquidy and it's liquidy a word but anyways um i'll roll with that good <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's go liquidy gels that were yeah it was like 45 grams of carbs in each gel and so i made sure i had like two of those an hour and then um that's like some of the bottles we'd have would either be like 30 grams of carbs or um 60 grams of carbs and i'd start with the ones with 60 grams of carbs and so um going pretty darn heavy that you know on the carb intake you know it's i can't take I can't take 150 an hour for five hours. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be doing a Tom Dumoulin or something in you know, the middle <laughs> of the race. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> that's the fear, but, but, um, yeah, so it's kind of like finding that balance and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, it's a bit hard, but with training, I just learned, I, um, yeah, you really got to train the gut as well. Like that is just, I'm sure those articles have said the same thing as well, but, um, yeah, just doing that the same in training is kind of rough. But uh yeah, solid stuff, it's it's rare when I'll have it. We uh you know, kinda of in like the neutral zone. Uh, they the Swaniers made these rice cakes, which was pretty awesome. Um, like not the or like rice krispies, not like the typical Euro rice cake, but like a rice crispy treat, which was nice. More of just like a, a nice little snack. It was only like twenty grams of carbs, but um instead of like you know drinking down a, a, a syrupy gel you know sometimes it'd be nice to like all right the breakaway just went all right let me just eat two rice crispy treats those are pretty good um so it's kind of finding the balance because in the you know in the bigger pro races you do get the chance to you know once the breakaway goes for the day you know the race slows down quite a bit for you know 10 15 minutes for all the teams get organized everyone takes a little nature break so then you can kind of like, all right, let me get some solid food in there that, you know, will kind of aid the stomach maybe a bit later. So it's not just like a stomach full of liquid sugar and, um, yeah, to wreak havoc on the team bus later. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something not to be discussed, the team bus toilet situation after the race. <laughs> we would get flagged if we discussed that on Spotify. <laughs> and how, how do you train that? 
I've often wondered, like, let's just say you're in Boulder, you're training, you don't have access to team cars. Like, are you you're just carrying everything in your pocket or, or how do you do that? Yeah, frame bag is the move, man. Like, I, I've got this little frame bag. I remember years ago, like 2016, right before 2015, was it? It was like right before the bar bags got all popular. I had one. I was putting all the my bars and stuff like in there. But um, no, frame bag's even better. It's more aero. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have like a big Ziploc bag and just like, all right, I got my two, you know, was it 750 milliliter bottles? you know, with probably 120 grams of carbs in there in each bottle. And then, um, yeah, I get a big Ziploc baggie and just like get the scooper out from the drink mix and just like scoop that bag full. So then I just throw that in the, um, in the frame bag. So whenever I stop, then I don't have to spend, you know, 10 bucks on three Gatorades or something. I can just kind of go and fill up the water at the gas station and then just dump my own mix in and, why not there so um yeah kind of just loading up the pockets for sure it's a bit a bit of a chore but i don't know maybe training with a little extra weight is good too has the team changed how you eat off the bike at all have you made any changes to your diet um not too much i mean it's just kind of always like <laughs> you can always be a bit healthier for sure but um yeah i've definitely changed a few things like you know, coming into a race and whatnot, like, um, but I like, I like my salads for sure, but like coming into a race, you know, I kind of lower the fiber intake. There's little things like that. Um, I mean, on a recovery day, it's just having less carbohydrates, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's I'm trying not to overcomplicate it too much. Cause I know it's so right. easy to just like focus on these, some, some little things. And then you're just like, all right, 24 seven, I'm thinking about, should I really have had that piece of toast I had last night before bed? Like, is that going to like, if once I get into that mindset, then it's like, then you're stressing and then you're stress eating and then, um, and then you're uh, four kilos heavier than you should be. So yeah, I think the less, the, for me, at least the less I've stressed about that and just, all right, I'm going to ride a lot. And then when I'm riding a lot, no matter what my uh, calories are like negative. So it's okay. Yeah. I think Adam Hansen was the first world tour pro that I heard talk about lowering your fiber going into a major target race. How frequently are you using that strategy? Is it for every race or just for special stages or specific races that you're targeting? Um, yeah, for, for most races, I'd say primarily most races, like, especially like any one day race, it would be, um, it'd be like that. I mean, obviously I don't think they're doing like a super low fiber grand tour. Of course they got to have something in their, um, in their system. I mean, you need fiber in the diet, but, um, yeah, for the most part, you know, it's kind of just like the two days before you just kind of, all right, I'm not going to have a, a big salad today. You know, I'm going to have maybe a small salad and whatnot. So it's not like any, I think just like crazy changes in the diet, you know, anything crazy changes before the a race is just kind of, it's going to give a shock to the body and, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I heard Adam Hansen originally talk about it in the context of targeting climbing stages within mm -hmm. Grand Tours. Yeah, totally. but yeah, it sounds like it's pretty popular now. You know, we didn't talk about this earlier when we were talking about the altitude camp, but just generally, is there much, if any, talk about gravel racing 
within the world tour. <laughs> Andrew's grammar <laughs> question. Get yeah, I back. guess that going back to like the um, the talks at the um, yeah, what was the top like? Yeah, what was, what were you guys chatting about at the uh, camp? Um, growl did not really come up and maybe came up once or twice, to be honest. So, um, well, I mean, Mate, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's basically like, I'm becoming a gravel pro. That's more or less, you know, his most recent news. So it sounds like it is trending. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for a couple of minutes at the table, it's trending a bit. So <laughs> I did go back and I, I like. I listened to the actual transcript of that interview and he did couch that in a lot of, he was like, gravel racing will be my focus for 2024. It's like, and then fine print, like when it doesn't conflict with any goal of the team yeah. and I'm not racing a road race. It's like, so you're doing <laughs> yeah. gravel worlds next year is what you're telling us. And that's yeah, not it. Totally. What's your, what's the living situation, Riley? So you go pro, I mean, you were, and you were on, we, I don't think we've, we've given you your flowers for this. You were, I'm sure in some, I don't know how to put this kindly, not like luxurious situations in France when you're racing amateur 2020 and 2021. And then now like, what do you have a, did you just buy a mansion in Girona? Andrew and I have been, <laughs> have been blown away by the real estate affordability in Girona. Um, what you can get for a little bit of money there. How's that going? Um, good. I mean, yeah, much better than, um, I'm psyched to the, for the, yeah, just getting an apartment in, um, in Girona. Um, pretty simple but um it ticks all the boxes and you know i got my space to stretch out but yeah like 2020 and 2021 the um yeah the, just the town i was in was just tiny i think it like you know europe they got they only use roundabouts there's no four-way stops well this town had like two or three roundabouts so it was a pretty <laughs> pretty small town and um yeah just an old apartment there you know sleeping in a tiny like i felt like smaller than a twin mattress that was 40 years old or something and um yeah so definitely excited to have my own place renovated two years ago so you know it's um it's uh, it's got ac too so um, that's that'll be that's huge that's huge i remember yeah and in, in, in yeah 2020 2021 in like july and just like I got the windows open at night trying to like put the blinds down during the day or just doing all everything I can. I got a fan trying to blow <laughs> some air, some hot air on me, but yeah, no, looking forward to having like, uh, some, um, some modern, uh, necessities, I guess now. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we were in Europe for a few weeks last summer and then we came back and in the middle of the night our we did not keep our house cold it was at 77 degrees and i had to get up and turn off the ac because i was so cold like i'm <laughs> yeah. used to like a 90 degree european night in the house that's i can't sleep if it's not that but like how what's your time split there are you gonna spend like most of your time in Girona, and then do you just stay with your parents when you come back to boulder um yeah probably like right now i've had an apartment here in boulder but um yeah i'm probably once i come back um but i won't to boulder um i'll probably stay with my parents or something but um yeah it kind of depends i don't really know how much i'll be back in the u.s really um it's kind of tricky with the um the whole schedule like i'd like to be back for u.s pro but that's um shuffled a month earlier now because the tour is a week early in the olympics and all that so um i might just be in europe all year next year which is um 
something I'm completely cool with. Um, yeah, maybe I'll do another altitude camp or something there. But um, yeah, just going to hang out in Girona and figure that out for the first year at least. And then um, if I like it, I'll stay there. If not, maybe I'll try something else. Like uh, I think, you know, I love al altitude and just nature coming from Colorado. So maybe go up to Andorra or something and get on the hype train there or maybe a Nice or something. So, yeah. There's a lot of Andorra going around. It's, it's definitely a trending. Andorra. It's definitely trending. not yeah. the, uh, the advantageous tax bracket or tax rate. That has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Everyone's moving for the but, um, yeah, as, as an American, unfortunately you don't have that advantageous, uh, no, it's crazy. tax bracket. It's like so, one of two um, countries in the world that has to pay income tax, no matter where you are. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, Sep's just, just there for the mountain vibes, which, uh, I totally get, I was there a bit and, um, yeah, it's a great place. Cause I mean, Europe is awesome. You get all these great climbs and whatnot, but it doesn't have the remoteness like the U S does of just like, all right, if I look in that direction, I just see trees and mountains and, um, in Andorra, you get something a little closer to that where you can get some proper outdoors time where you're not like seeing, you know, a village there and a church there and whatnot a farm field in the other direction it's like kind of you can uh just be out in nature which is pretty uh good feeling for the head sometimes too half the battle for u.s cyclists you know it's i mean I'm, you know this better than anyone just how there's a lot of guys that are good at riding bikes in the u.s especially like in your dad's era it's like half the battle is just like existing in europe can you live in europe basically full-time and a shocking amount of people cannot it's like Americans don't do well when they have to spend an extensive time outside the country. So you, you, you're, you're halfway there to being a superstar. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, 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 it's been brutal. And like, I remember just coming over to Europe the first time it was just like, oh, okay, this is different. Like, um, it's, 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 everything's a little bit harder. I mean, like, okay, I got like a hardware store is like, okay we're like hardware store is like daunting i remember going to a hardware store and it's like all right like i can get around a hardware store i don't know anything about power tools or you know getting and you know asking for a, a screw in a french hardware store was like i was nervous for that like that was an experience in itself but um like yeah in the u.s you just you can walk up and ask no problem or like you know we can go to target and i can get i can get my pants i can get <laughs> my toilet paper and i can get a, a book and a, a video game while getting my groceries all at once. You know, that's, that's great. But, uh, there's no such thing as, as that, um, over there, you know, it's, those are all different stores and whatnot. So I know it's all a bit harder, but I think going to Girona, it's a bit easier. Um, my friend told me once, it's like, Girona is kind of like decaf Europe. Everyone kind of <laughs> speaks English. You know, there's tons of bike shops nearby, you know, there's, you know, you can, tons of contacts you can have you know it's just a little less intense you know it's it's the same thing it's still coffee but um it's not as intense yeah it's just decaf so yeah now riley i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about this now i know in 91 92 your dad was uh on coors light and i know that roberto gaggioli oh. the legendary sprinter was also on the team at that time now did your dad pass along any of roberto gaggioli's wisdom to you um, not that I know of, I mean, I'm sure I've gotten some of it, but, um, 
nothing that's like, oh, this Roberto told me this or anything. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure I've gotten some indirect advice for sure. So. Right. Let him know I asked. I, I'm really curious. I will, yeah. yeah. It's a legend. Does he have any... <laughs> Gagioli, I think, was at the center of like the alleged... Um, tampering you i don't know why they thought this was a good idea but there was three big races and if you won ever all the same person won all three races they win a million dollars obviously what could happen there is everyone in the race says well let's just let the same person win and then we all split the money or all the good riders so uh something <laughs> funny money got on there i'm sure gaggioli has a lot of yeah, stories yeah. about that i know i know a little bit about like kind of how you came up racing but like, were you, did you seriously start racing from a really young age? Were you out at Valmont with, with the juniors, with the, like the under tens? Did you race high school mountain biking? Like what was your path to getting to a point where you could go to Europe? I mean, yeah, if I go back to like day one of thinking like racing my bike, I remember before I even knew what bike racing was, like I just grew up in a family who rode bikes. I knew my dad raced bikes, but I never like, at a young age, like was like, you know, too uh, like um, educated on you know the whole 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 thing on that. But I remember just like growing up in like second grade, being super competitive. I'd ride my bike to school with my dad, and just like right before the school, like one block away, I'd always like try sprinting him and everything. So kind of feel like I found the competitiveness on the bike just for myself, just being competitive and being like, all right, I want to beat my dad on a bike. I mean, I'm sure he's letting me win, but, um, yeah, uh, kind of grew up around watching, going to the races. And then, um, you know, I wasn't really doing any of the like 10, 12 stuff too much. Um, around the age of 14, 15, I started doing a bit more road cycling. I did some, um, did some track stuff and some cycles cross stuff as well with like BJC. And uh yeah, I did in high school I did my sophomore year. I did is it yeah, I did yeah, one year of the high school mountain bike league. I never really had a mountain bike. It's kinda enjoyed the road bike a bit more. So I was just doing the, you know, going to the mountain bike practices on my sister's mountain bike <laughs> and then borrowing a buddy's uh mountain bike for the races, which was a blast. But is that um, at Boulder High? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But that, I mean, I got pretty lucky there too. Cause I mean, our football team was bad, but, um, the, the mountain bike team was bigger than the football team, which is kind of, I don't know. I think that's kind of cool to brag about that. Um, yeah, but, uh, around like the age of 15, I started to really like it a bunch. I got invited to like a USA cycling talent ID camp, met a bunch of all the, the hitters and everything in my age. And, um, yeah, 16, did a bunch of races, and then, um, yeah, I did I did the junior tour of Ireland when I was 16, and then did, like, a, a Kermes camp um, with a bunch of other juniors that, like, the USA Cycling um, had going on. And then from there on out, kind of each year, from there, 15 onward, my career developed a bit more and more, but... Um, whether it was like progressive through results or whatnot, the main thing that really grew was just, um, yeah, my passion for the sport and love for it. Like each year, it was just like a little bit more in love and involved with the sport that I'd take it a little more seriously. And it's kind of each year progressed like that. Like in uh, 2020 and 2021, 2019, even like my U23 years, I, I kind of staggered out a bit. My progression wasn't super linear. 
And, um, but like, for sure, like I knew just my, uh, dedication and like love for the sport was, uh, was just growing so much those years that, um, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I kept on growing like that, but, um, yeah, so definitely didn't start super young or anything. And, uh, but yeah, around like 15, 16 is when I really, um, started getting into it. what did you love about it? Um, kind of just a competitive guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, you know, biking is something I found that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at. And I just like the, I did, you know, basketball, baseball, you know, running as well. And those were all cool, but I was like, Oh, I kind of like the tactics and that kind of like the, you know, you got to just push yourself in that. And like cycling is like, Oh, I can be super tactical and I can, you know, I got to push myself really hard. And just that combination I think is really cool and how it's, you know, it's not the same playing field every time, you know, it's not the same, you know, baseball diamond or whatever. It's a, uh, you know, a different course and there's so much can change about it. And, uh, just so many different opportunities and ways that you can uh yeah be crafty with all that is um i think I, yeah just all the variety the sport can give you is probably one of my favorite parts about it but definitely the competitiveness comes first so yeah <laughs> do you think getting involved like the usa cycling talent id camp or program like if that doesn't happen do you think you still like did they were they the ones who sent you the tour of ireland or did you kind of just finance finance that yourself or was that key to your development um yeah so like tour of ireland i i did kind of on myself i like by myself um i saw like a youtube video of it like the winter before and i was like dad i really want to do this and uh so yeah he definitely helped me out with that but like yeah with those talent id camps i've done then after that i did the yeah belgian kermes camp with usa cycling and all that and just having that exposure and everything was so, so valuable. I really, you know, I, I don't think I would have progressed to where I am now. I know like in 2019, my first year U23, I did the Tour L'Avenir with USA Cycling. And that inspired me to get over to Europe and France. And I know if I hadn't done that race block, I don't know where, I, you know, it kind of, it may have just kind of fallen off. Like those those race trips as a junior as well, just teaching me what the, the big leagues were like, you know, against the top guys, like racing Remco at worlds. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, if I didn't get those experiences for sure. Um, yeah. I don't think I'd be anywhere where I am now. So. Dude, what's the big difference you think if you're, let's say you're a good, you know, really good rider in the U S and you go over to Europe, like what, what's, is it just the speed is higher? I mean, that's like, that would be a, that would be stupid question on my part if that's the answer, but, or is there just like some way in the, what, is there a way the race is ridden that's like hard to adjust or even the size of the roads? Yeah. I mean, the way the race is ridden, I mean, it's a bunch of juniors. So it's like, you think European racing is a lot more, you know, dense, smaller roads. So everything's a little more compacted, more action going on. And then it's juniors. So you get like, it's just pure chaos, but, um, there's just a lot of, it's all the best guys. And, uh, you know, Europe isn't a, you know, big area. The U S is bigger than, you know, like to get all the top U S guys together is a lot harder than to get all the top Euro guys together. And so, um, just getting that exposure to the level. And if you find that you like it, you know, it's, um, 
it's key because then you're like, all right, you know, I want to do more of this because um, I enjoyed that chaos or something. And, oh, I saw a glimpse of hope in that one race that um, I want to do this. That was kind of fun when I saw 40 juniors crash in front of me and I somehow like parted the seas and made it through. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so I was just in SoCal thinking like meditating on the SoCal cycling scene and it's really good, but you actually don't really hear about, you know, it's not that many people from like, let's say below LA who like grow up to become world tour cyclists because you are so isolated. Like even to race other top people in the US is tough. You're probably just racing against a lot of the same people in your community all the time. You're not getting the cross pollination like you are in Europe. And if like, let's just say a talented, let's say Riley Sheehan from six years ago comes up to you now and is like, what do I, I, I like cycling and I'm good and I'm American. Like, what should I do to progress to the level you're at? Like, what would you tell them? Yeah, I tell them like, just, yeah, if, if you, yeah, if you can, which is the hard part, the big, if you can, yeah, get over to Europe and do some of the racing there. I mean, it doesn't have to be Belgium. You know, I, I grew up like, all right, you got to learn to race in Belgium. You know, that's where the real racing is. It's real hard. And I totally believe in that. Like, you got to experience that. But um, anywhere in Europe, these, you know, you're going to get, you know, a, a deeper field and uh, more experienced and stronger riders. You know, just an international experience is, um, is massive. So just if you can get any type of international racing exposure or like, like you said, like just the cross pollination of different levels of riding different styles of riding all that where you can soak that up like a sponge is um key so just yeah take as many opportunities like that as possible so how's the relationship with sepkus my uh my three-year-old son i told you one perry tours like you know that guy's from from boulder and he's like you know sepkus is from boulder or that's what he thinks because he's three um and and he was saying well who's the faster rider between the two i said i don't know it depends on the course and i'm looking at Toppenberg 2019, Riley Sheehan the winner, Sepkus eighth. Is there is there a big rivalry there? Are you I guess always talking about that Koppenberg result that you just got the best of Sep and he might have to come back and you guys might have to race it this year to see who can win. Yeah, um I think yeah, I think Sep and I need to come back and uh race Koppenberg again. You know, we've we've both had um I mean he's definitely had a bigger result this year but um yeah this both year. had some good breakthroughs and uh, i'd love to uh get that uh boxing match going again because <laughs> uh, i think steel yeah exactly like it may be you know comparing apples to oranges a bit as riders but um i'd say Koppenberg's a Koppenberg's a fair playground you know um maybe a little bit um one-sided since i've already beat him there but um <laughs> you have nothing be a good, uh, nothing to gain by uh by doing it doing it again yeah yeah but i think i'd, I'd be game for the rematch for sure so do you is it is it inspiring i mean he's a very different type of writer as you said like is it inspiring when you see someone who came up you know same state kind of similar path i guess he went to college and did the collegiate thing which makes his welta went even crazier because almost no one ever goes pro out of college but is that inspiring to see that and be like wow it's an american that's kind of come out of colorado to like win the biggest race in the, one of the biggest races in the world no it's super cool i think um it's kind of one of the big things that i've seen that's kind of inspired me is just um okay another american can do it too so maybe i can do it as well because um, 
if we didn't have any other Americans to look up to or anything, it's like, you don't know if you can do it. You have no, like, going over, you got to take an eight-hour flight to go race in the country that they don't speak your language. There's all these other talented guys. Like, you know, it's it's good to have somebody that's like, okay, they've done it, so maybe I can do it too. Um, that was kind of the main reason I decided to go over and race in France was Matteo Jorgensen was on that Tour L'Avenir trip with me, and uh, he did that whole year um, racing in France. And he's like, yeah, man, you should really do this. And just having, you know, like, you know, Sepp won the Vuelta is like, all right, now, you know, think of all the other people who are, you know, I'm from Colorado too. I can, you know, I can, you know, I, I had a similar, you know, background to him. Maybe I can do this as well. And I think that's just, um, yeah, having those little like, okay, he did it. So maybe I can do it too. Is, um, is super cool. I mean, there's all the hard work you got to put in, in the behind the scenes, but, um, having somebody who's, yeah, who's done it from where you're from is, uh, is massive. What do you believe is possible for you to achieve in your career? Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, it kind of depends on my ego the day, but, um, you know, I, I really think I could be a, you know, a pretty good bike racer in all different types of racing. I, uh, I've kind of been trying to figure out, okay, am I a sprinter? No, I don't think I'm not a sprinter. I'm not a climber. What am I? But, um, I really found like, I really enjoy like races with just some weird variety of something and whether it be like a really rainy, cold day or, Perry tours has some gravel sectors on it. You know, it's, um, yeah, I think like whatever races, you know, that have that little bit of diversity to them, I think I could smash, um, you know, I'd really, you know, I really believe I could, you know, like winning a tour stage is something I think I could accomplish one day. Um, it got a couple, couple steps in between here and there, but, um, yeah, I'd love to do something like that. And then, just growing up watching the classics, those were always like my favorite races to watch. And um, yeah, seeing like I might be doing some of those next year and stuff is super inspiring because I kind of felt at home with the, you know, fall northern uh, northern Europe classics. You know, really enjoyed them, actually. It wasn't just like they're cool to watch, but they're actually pretty sweet to race, too. And um, kind of was figuring them out, and positioning well. And um, yeah, it's something I feel like I could... Uh, could really smash and yeah yeah so i got my eyes on a couple races here and there but i think i need to keep uh yeah keep testing the waters a bit more before i really have some big targets was that part of the appeal of israel premier tech i mean it's funny you bring up mateo because he's i i kind of view him as the same type of writer and he's in the same here he was in the same type of situation where i'm always starting to say hey man you want to lead the team at flanders go for it like we don't have anyone doing that. Like, mo you know, imagine you're on Yumbo. It, it's gonna you're gonna have to be pretty good to ride for yourself at those big races. Like, like I imagine I'm trying to think of Israel Premier, Premier Tech's classic team in my head. You might be like one of their most recently accomplished riders in one day. No, it's pretty cool because um yeah they're kind of building up their classic squad and I mean the team took the step down from the World Tour, but you know I think it's a good stepping stone for me because they're on track to make it back up and everything. And I can kind of grow with them. And there's a big opportunity in the classics that they're building. You know, they want to put a lot of work into their classic squad and whatnot. And um, being a part of that and being like, okay, I can grow with this and I have a chance. I'm not, I'm not going to just necessarily be, 
you know, the, the bottle boy in the race, you know, I can, you know, I can have some, uh, some freedom in the races and some opportunities. I think that's just, um, that's massive and something I'm really excited to be a part of because I love racing and whatnot, but winning is such a good feeling. And when you're really racing to win, that's, um, that's awesome. And I think I'm going to have some opportunities like that. And, um, I think that's just a great fit for me and, um, super motivating too. Then I know like I can come into some races next year that, um, I can really target and I'll have some people backing me up too. I'm not going to be, um, you know, getting bottles for, for Wout or someone, but, um, yeah. Has your position changed on the bike substantially in the last couple of years? Um, a bit. Yeah. Kind of, uh, here and there, but, um, not too much. Um, kind of just, uh, yeah, not too much, I guess it's kind of stayed the same, slowly gotten lower and lower in the front end, but, um, still could always go more lower and longer on the front end for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, not, not, nothing crazy, but, um, never done any crazy overhauls, but, um, hopefully I can say my positions changed on the TT bike next year. Cause, um, I think mine's just atrocious right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Is that something you ever worked on? I often think about like young time trialists, like you must, it must just have to be a culture that you grow up in. Or if you're British and you're doing time trials every weekend, like when, when were you ever really racing on the TT bike? Was it just at kind of junior stage races that you're trying to win? Yeah, it's kind of junior stage races and nationals. Other than that, it's kind of like, all right, I got to train for this race and, I got to get used to this TT bike. But um, as a junior, I actually really liked time trials and thought I was pretty good. I was pretty good at them as well. Um, yeah, I won the junior national championships Dece, in the time Dece. trial. Pretty but um, yeah, yeah. But uh, it kind of after juniors, um, you know, I kind of racing against a 28-year-old and I'm 19. I was a little behind on the on the wattage for sure. And, and uh, yeah, so... Yeah, unless you're British or have an access to a wind tunnel sessions and all the custom equipment you want, yeah, it's it's pretty tricky. So um, I think I'll definitely have some more support for that. But um, I think my time trial specific days have maybe passed. I'm not going to totally cross it out, but um, I like the mass start races a bit more for sure. I mean, it can happen. You see guys that like late onset time trialing. Um, I don't think you would have picked Jonas Vindigo is like one of the best time trialists in the world four years ago. Oh, yeah. He's pretty good now. So what's the rest of your 2023 look like? Like, have you been to the first Israel Premier Tech camp or do you guys meet up in December and kind of get to know each other, get bikes and things like that? Yeah. So luckily I was able to, uh, keep the, the team bike from, um, yeah, I got the, the bike that I won Perry tours on that I'm training on here in Boulder, which is pretty sweet. Um, so I got to keep that and been training on that here, but then in a little over a week, I'll be heading over to our first training camp in, uh, right outside Girona, Spain, where we'll kind of get everything dialed. Everyone's going to be, the whole team's going to be there together, you know, train together, staff, everyone, you know, getting bike fits and, um, yeah, getting everything sorted for that plus some, uh, good training as well. So, um, Yeah. And maybe I can tell you in uh, in two weeks that my bike changed, my bike fit has changed quite a bit, but uh, for now it's going to stay the same. So 
Well, we, we don't want to, we want to let you go. You're a busy pro cyclist. You have limited number of days in the U S before you move full-time to Europe. Andrew, do you have any more questions? I just want to get to the bottom of what your dad learned on Coors Light, but that's, that's an interview with your dad, <laughs> not you. Yeah. Hit him up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'll come on. We got to have him on. Um, when you're, when you're winning tour stages this year, we'll have to have your dad on when you're too busy to come on. That'd be incredible. Yeah, I'm sure he'd love it. So that'd be awesome. It is fun. I mean, it is funny. You see guys like Derek G, like Israel, just it's like, hey, you want to come to the Zero and try to win every stage? I'm like, sure, that sounds fun. All right, go for it. So, I mean, nothing's out of the nothing's out of the realm of possibilities with this team. No, I'm super psyched. It's um, yeah, kind of like, yeah, it's a open book on um, you know, things to uh to target for so uh looking forward to it all right well thanks riley and uh and stay warm in your last remi- remaining days in, in cold colorado before you go to spain yeah right on well thank you guys i, I really appreciate it yeah so um yeah maybe yeah maybe i'll hit up valmont bike park if uh the, the snow melts and i'll see you guys out there but uh so we'll i like to it's what we like to hear you hang yeah, in there just right got my yeah, figured Chris, out so uh, get, the, carbon. Get, the, get the last taste of the good stuff before you had to drona <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks and uh best of luck this season we'll talk to you later right on thank you